listening to the Child Life Cooperative Podcast, a place where child life professionals share their real and honest stories with host and certified child life specialist, Allie Jones. When an aspiring child life specialist first hears about child life, where are they supposed to turn for more information about the field? As an anxious student prepares to take the child life certification exam, who determines what competencies they will be evaluated on? Who's responsible for policing the conduct of child life professionals? And, with over 6,000 certified child life specialists worldwide, one would think it would take an army to advocate for the profession, right? Many people ask these questions of the Association of Child Life Professionals, and as we will find out, there are many misconceptions about the ACLP. This week we interview ACLP Chief Executive Officer Jen Lipsy and Chief Operating Officer Bailey Caston for a behind-the-scenes look at what the ACLP is really like. Here's this week's Honest Story. All right. Hello, Child Life Cooperative community. Thank you guys so much for tuning in for another episode of the Child Life Cooperative. This will actually be the finale of season two, and I'm very excited and honored to welcome our guests for this finale episode. We have Jen Lipsy and Bailey Caston from the Association of Child Life Professionals. Hello, ladies. Hello. We didn't realize it was the finale episode. I know. I just sprung it. (laughs) I know it is. And and we're so excited to conclude with you both as well. Um, Like I said, it's such an honor to be able to hear from our leaders. And we're really excited to hear kind of some behind the scenes details about the ACLP, if you're willing to share. So if you guys are ready to get started, we can just jump right in. Absolutely. We're ready. Perfect. So um, tell me a little bit about Each of you have very special leadership roles on the ACLP. You can definitely share about those as well. But why don't you first start by sharing the role that you're currently in and what sort of experiences have prepared you to help serve in the current roles that you're in? Sure. So, Jen, I am currently serving as the CEO of ACLP. I have been with the association for 10 and a half years or so. I started as a program assistant, worked my way into certification, worked my way from certification into operations, and then was offered the interim CEO position, and then was offered the permanent position. So I've uh, learned a lot. I have seen, I want to say, three executive directors kind of uh, pass through, so Mm -hmm. I've learned a lot just seeing their successes, their areas for growth, and I'm hoping to be applying those successfully now from what I've learned. But my background, uh, my graduate degree is in marriage and family therapy. I had about a year or a year and a half of internship work post-graduation, working with couples, children, families in counseling uh, as a counselor. Mm -hmm. Uh, I worked in adolescent group homes. So I did direct service. uh, I worked as a direct service provider for children and families. So felt like I admired that work. It was hard work uh, when we moved from the West Coast to the East Coast Mm -hmm. to support my husband's dreams. I took advantage of trying to find something more administrative, uh, more structured in the schedule, and I found Child Life Council um, during that move. So found my home, but have always wanted to work in an advocacy-type position, supporting uh, marginalized populations. So I'm happy Mm. to be here. Mm-hmm. That's really neat to hear about your background in psychosocial care through marriage yeah. and family therapy. That's Who knew that that was subtly preparing you for this role, too? 
Absolutely. I would say it has also helped kind of breed this ability or this skill of looking at things in a systematic or systemic full picture. Everything feeds into something else, you know, into the big picture. Everything affects everything else, Mm -hmm. Um, as well as gave me a good exposure to group dynamics that exist. So that's certainly been helpful, both at the board, staff and membership level. Mm -hmm. That's great. What about you, Bailey? Can you share a little bit about your background role and the current role that you're in now? Sure. Well, my current role is as the chief operating officer of ACLP, and my whole career basically has been uh, working in associations or in association management. Hmm. So uh, I just I studied political science at American University here in my beloved city, Washington D.C. I'm a huge D.C. nerd. I love D.C. <laughs> um, so of course I was going to stay here and and. Um, one of the many economies that we have here in Washington, D.C. is that, you know, most associations have a headquarters or at least an office here as they want to reach out to the Hill. And so I, I just found my way, you know, through D.C. life into associations, and I found out that I love it. So it's my mm-hmm. absolute passion, and I am certified as a certified association executive. Uh, so it's, you know, that's really my career path. I have worked with dozens of associations because I had the ability to work as a consultant as well as working in staff. So I get, you know, I've seen basically good associations and some that are struggling or going through big changes. And so I think that experience has uh, led me to my role here where I can, you know, often say, well, I've seen it done this way or best practice for association management says we should at least consider this option. So I, I I hope and like to think that that's kind of what I bring is that association-specific knowledge base about the things that associations do, like government relations, Mm -hmm. uh, meetings, membership, you know, member benefits, chapters, all that kind of thing. So really the the work and heart and soul of association stuff, that's really what I I love doing. I love being part of something. Yeah, I love that. And I love how you guys can even complement each other in those two different roles and those different perspectives and values that you both bring, which is really neat. Can you tell us a little bit about what is a typical day like at the ACLP? Like, and and even for you in the ACLP, like, how do you start your mornings? What's it like to be in Jen and Bailey's shoes? (laughs) I'll go first. I am a morning person. So I usually, my internal alarm will wake up between 4.30 and 5. What? Um, I usually. Yeah. Oh my word. I used to use that time to go to the gym and have some workout time, but that has since changed. I've actually enjoyed having a leisurely morning, so I'll enjoy my coffee, catch up on my reading, see what my day is going to present to itself before my girls wake up around 6.30 or 7. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we pack lunches, get ready for school, finish last-minute homework, um, do drop-off, etc. And then when we, I walk in the door, I usually see Alex and Mary because they are early uh, staff members, they have a pretty hefty commute. Um, I think each of them has at least an hour and a half commute one way. So they have the earlier shift being in the office to try and beat the traffic flow. Mm-hmm. So it's a quiet start to the day at headquarters. And then the rest of staff start coming in as well around 9, 9.15. Mm-hmm. We do have a number of staff that work um, remotely just because they either live out of state or have moved further away and we didn't want to lose them. So we've created some remote work options for them. So Mm. typical day, we have about five, maybe six staff members actually in office with us out of the full 13 that we have on our payroll. And it's homey, it's cozy. There's a lot of chatter just about what either, you know, we did on the weekend or if there's a certain member inquiry that's come up that someone needs additional support answering or responding to, we tend to collect together and see who's going to respond and how. Mm -hmm. 
We have staff meetings Wednesday, president's calls Fridays. I'm probably getting into too nitty gritty, but we are fortunate that we have a staff right now comprised of a nice balance of introverts and extroverts. So yeah. it's not never too loud, but not ever too quiet as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just a perfect balance. Yeah, that sounds really neat. Bailey, what sort of things energize you during your day? Like any things on your your agenda any given day that you're like, oh, yes, I can't wait to do this or that? Uh, well, yes, I am one of the uh, few extroverts, I think. Yes. So uh, <laughs> we, have, we have a real mix, as Jen said. It's like either people are completely introverted in our staff or very extroverted. So I actually like meetings. I know people, a lot of people hate meetings, mm-hmm. but I... It's the quiet time at my desk that gives me, like, the hives. So, uh, uh, you know, so what I like is when we're getting together, um, especially, like, thinking of ideas or brainstorming. I'd love to go to conferences or hear what people have ideas that we have to, like, let's say, what can we do to make conference really special? Let's just, like, put it all on the table and and see what we could do. So uh, I think that's my favorite kind of the things that we work on was when we're all collaborating and especially thinking up you know, new ways to make our members either happy or feel value or to answer questions that they have. It's, that's one aspect of, I would say, life here at the office is that we all are really committed and we care and like it very much. Mm-hmm. So a lot of us have worked here for a while now and all of us know child life pretty well. We've, we've obviously met a lot of our members at conference and through committee work. We've been on like so many hospital tours as staff. We've been to academic programs. i um, I'm actually a parent of a child who's received child life services. So mm. I, a lot of us are just really passionate and committed to child life itself. So the work we do is always, I don't know, it's always kind of fun and energetic. So you ask what energizes me. I really never feel drained mm. because the, the work is really rewarding. We, it's an honor to serve child life. You know, I always, I always say I could have ended up at like the Kleenex Manufacturers Association, but <laughs> instead I'm at the Association for Child Life Professionals and like, it's such a gift. And I know that the whole staff feels that way. We really mm. love working for child life. So it's really, it's never a dull moment here. We're always doing a million things. It, it can be a little stressful just from the sheer volume we're trying to do, but mm-hmm. we all really care about what we're trying to do. I think that you feel that when you come in our office mm. and it keeps us going, all of us, because mm. we just, we want to be successful. You know, it's not just, you know, pushing around papers. We're, we're really trying to help child life in any, every way we can. Yeah. I love the way that you're also able to kind of touch on how you learned more about child life as well, stepping into this role of supporting specialists, but learning more about what the field is specifically hospital tours and connecting with other specialists. That's a really neat way to gain that understanding. Um, for both of you, when you stepped into your role at the ACLP, and I know, Jen, you said that you had quite a history there as well when it was the CLC at the time, but what, what was there anything that kind of surprised you about the role of child life or something that like continues to surprise you about the work that specialists do? I mean, I think one thing that you hear, uh, I mean, that's unfortunate, a trending thing over time is how little still people know about child life professionals, you know? I mean, it still continues to be the majority response when you tell people either where you work or who you represent or who your membership is, where they say, well, what's that? Um, mm-hmm. And it certainly seems like, although we've grown and our membership has grown and, you know, interested people in wanting to partner with us or collaborate with us, the, that number has grown. By and large, uh, I still get a bit taken aback when, um, you know, I tell people where I work and have to explain to them from the 
nuts and bolts of what our members do, what we do for them. Well, I want to jump in and say, so, you know, I'm often going to association, you know, maybe meetings or meetups or conferences and we'll be at the table and you know, everyone will say like, okay, what's your association? What's it do? And um, I can always tell. So when I say the association of child life professionals, once in a while, someone will say, oh, child life. And I'll say, oh, if you experience, have you received, is someone in your family received the services of child life specialists? And they'll say, yes. You can always tell right in the look on someone's face that they know child life and they mm. know child life personally. And that is really moving. That's true. Because, you know, it's not just like, oh, yeah, sure, I know that. It, like, you can see that child life has made a connection. And so when we say it, you know, at these industry things, you know, you see someone, that recognition, it just kind of, kind of speaks to the power of child life. Absolutely. That's such a true point. I mean, I know I even feel that as well, just taking a lot of gratitude and ownership in our profession as a worldwide profession. It's so neat that different specialists are leaving their marks and helping lead that legacy for other families to continue to to build those connections, which is really special. You both kind of touched on some of the collaboration that you have going on. And I, I know the website itself kind of talks about different task forces, the board, things like that. Could you speak into a little bit about the structure of the ACLP and the ways that you guys help collaborate with other areas and other people? So our structure is, uh, well, we are governed by our board of directors, which is our Mm -hmm. boss. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the board of directors is comprised of certified child life specialists, leaders and active members of the field. They are nominated into place and the membership votes on the slate each year. Uh, So underneath the governing body of uh, the board of directors is um, us, Bailey and me, as the executive leaders. We lead the staff here at headquarters. We act as staff liaisons to our various working groups comprised of task forces and committees. Those volunteer groups serve to kind of execute the initiatives that the board has put in place that align with our strategic plan, which I know you were part of our Mm -hmm. strategic planning summit. Mm -hmm. So our complete infrastructure is led, driven, and uh, redirected by the governing board of directors. But we also, the board and really the staff, but especially Bailey and I, will go out to various other conferences, meetings, networking events that we either are invited to or that we invite ourselves to if we find out that they are relevant to our current goals. And we do our best to just insert ourselves, make uh, the association known just by our presence and educating the other attendees on what our association does and who we represent with the goal of just spreading the word, educating the public, and um, hopefully if the organization has a like-minded mission and values to us, we can line up some sort of collaboration in the future. But that's not typically our main intention for going. We never go with any specific like project in mind that we would want to work on necessarily. It's more just to let these other organizations know we exist, we're open to ideas, we're open to collaborations, um, and then we go from there. We work together to decide if a collaborative project is a potential or whether it's something in the future. We just want to have a kind of wider scope of people mm-hmm, to select. Mm-hmm. Which is really neat, the progress that has been made. Um, you guys have mentioned the board as well. What's kind of a typical board meeting like? How often do you all meet? What's the energy like? I've been doing a lot of talking. (laughs) Take it away, Bailey. So our our board meets uh, in person 
twice a year. Those are like the big board meetings, but we also have calls throughout the year with the executive committee or the full board. And the energy is, I, I think it's like everybody comes a little bit wondering what, what's going to happen, even though we have an agenda and we know what we're going to talk about uh, and what we have proposals, let's say, from our committees or things that have come uh, to our national office for the, for the board to consider and you know, things like our annual budget. But it always comes down to the discussion in the room because we really need to hear all the stakeholders. We need to think it through. And so, you know, every person may come in with a notion of what we may accomplish at the board meeting, but it's kind of like, Ooh, what's going to happen? What are we going to talk about? And um, really, where are we going to fall on this? Because like any healthy board, we expect everybody to come prepared and uh, have read all the background material and have a robust discussion because all mm -hmm. the things that we're working on are so important to our association. Uh, that we really uh, take everything super seriously and hear everyone out. So our, our board meetings are really just like here's a chance for us to really put all of our thoughts, impressions, ideas, the research. We have staff sometimes come in to give a presentation on, you know, information we've been gathering or best practices across, the, you know, the association industry. So we kind of take all of it together and it's like that's like the big mixing bowl where everybody's the feedback from members that we've taken in a town hall or through our membership survey combines in with the expertise and leadership with the board and then the staff's professional experience and that's when it all comes together mm -hmm. and then we uh, come up with our board outcomes so the board votes Jen and I are not voting we're just there to you know basically help and fac help facilitate mm -hmm. and and then that's really our marching orders as a staff and committees too and then you know of course we take on big projects like the strategic plan every few years as well so mm -hmm. the board meetings it's really it's about sharing like bringing together every bit of all the information and the perspectives and feeling that we represent so many people who couldn't be in the room yeah I love that I know I I especially experienced that which I was so grateful to with this strategic plan but seeing the way that you guys would do um, so many surveys with other people prior to that meeting to really try to capture the voice of the members, which I think is really, really valuable. Thinking about, and speaking even about the strategic plan, I remember flying there and thinking like, okay, what are some, like, what are some of my hopes for the ACLP? And I remember thinking like, love to see them help create more jobs. Or I'd love to see more internships. So I quickly realized that was even a misconception that that's not necessarily the role of the ACLP at all is creating more things, but just really helping to equip um, so that this can happen. And I'm curious from you all, too, what kind of common misconceptions do you guys see from members of the role of the ACLP and what it is and what it isn't? Yeah, we're in a really interesting time because, and especially with this most recent strategic planning summit, I think it became more obvious to everyone as we went through it that there is murkiness with mm -hmm. who we are as an association because a lot of what we have done to date has been uh, for the sake of the profession as opposed to looking at things uh, from an association perspective. So, I mean, I will say staff have also struggled with that. You know, we want to create more jobs. We want to create demand. We want to create mm -hmm. internships because we know they are challenges that exist. But as our strategic planning facilitator brought to our attention, is that within our capacity? Do we work at a hospital? Can we just enact new positions? Can we change legislation to, you know, require internships, etc.? cetera? Um, and having that kind of external expert redirect mm -hmm. us on on what do you do well what are your unique 
skills, values that you bring to your membership, that is what you need to focus on, right? So that brought a whole kind of new perspective into it. And internally, as we have staff meetings, we're using that to say, uh, you know, well, what what is with, really within our jurisdiction here? What are we actually able to do? What do we do well? What do we strive to do? And that build community, provide professional development education, uh, provide resources, standards, etc., and support our members, right? We, we convene, we educate, we build a community. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some misconceptions that are trending, um, which I can completely appreciate why, I've seen an uptick to people wanting and expecting us to intervene and be policemen of the profession, whether that be, you know, uh, filing a complaint against a fellow peer who they didn't agree with their behavior or didn't agree with their comment Mm. or felt as though they were uh, misrepresenting the profession. Really, you know, when it comes down to it, we have one course of action if, if a member wants to file a complaint, and that's through the Certification Commission's Ethics Subcommittee. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's if the individual uh, is a CCLS, Certified Child Life Specialist. The Ethics Subcommittee has their own process for determining if that complaint is valid and different sanctions um, to place on the individual. Um, but we leave that to CLCC and ethics to mm-hmm. kind of um, do their magic. And even then, they're kind of judging it on the basis of whether the individual's actions or behavior may have put someone else at harm, mm-hmm. whether that be patient or family. So um, mm-hmm. there's certainly that misconception out there. Well, I actually, when we just had our conference uh, in Chicago, we mm-hmm. had the sort of new activity that we, our member engagement team thought of, which was to sort of kind of like a did you know? It was basically all about clearing up, um, I don't know about misconceptions, but also just letting people know like what size is ACLP? How many committees do we have? Right. What are all the different things? I think one of the misconceptions we have is just about how much we do. We do a ton. And I think mm-hmm. actually a lot of people just don't know all the different aspects of what the committees or staff, all the different projects we're working on. So we've really been working to try and educate people more on the things we're doing or shout it out or share it in our marketing or social media or through things like conference. Um, and I have to laugh because one of the other misconceptions we have, so one of the posters that we had at conference or the did you know facts was about the number of staff that we have. And so as Jen told you, we only have 13 staff. Actually, one of those is part-time, so 12 and change. Mm-hmm. And... Um, when we asked people as part of a trivia game at our booth how many staff did they think that we had, we got usually something like 30, 40, 50, 60, 100, 200. Really? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, there's really just 13 uh, of us mm-hmm. uh, working on everything from the credential to membership to processing payments to you know, running an office and, you know, every other program that we have. So, mm-hmm. uh, I will say we do, I think we do a whole heck of a lot with the staff we have. I've obviously seen a ton of other associations and yeah, they, we could be staffed a lot bigger, but we do a lot with a little. And, um, mm-hmm. I think that's one fun or kind of lighthearted thing, you know, is really just the answers people gave were just, you know, quadruple the number of staff we have which I take as a compliment I know I was gonna say that's gotta feel very affirming of like wow like clearly the work that you're doing like it communicates that there's a lot more force behind the numbers that you have which is really a huge testament to how hard you guys work 
Well, I think it certainly would be, we wouldn't be able to do it without our volunteers. I mean, our committees and task forces mm-hmm. do the bulk of the work. We just kind of chime in when necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but that did that did also remind me that I think there's also a misconception that the loudest person gets to gets to enact change, etc. That's probably not the right way to put it. But mm-hmm. I always find myself um, compelled to remind each member that we represent over 5,600 members, I think, right now. Yeah. Um, over 6,000 certificates, certified child life specialists. And as their leader and the board has to make decisions based on the majority of the membership and the effects on and the impact on the majority of the membership. So we get a number of passionate individuals that want to speak on behalf of a group of 10 or 20, or, and I certainly can appreciate and admire that. Um, so I'm always compelled to remind people it's not a personal, it's not because you don't have enough of your comrades or peers aligned with you. It's because we really have to take the time to survey our members, mm-hmm. survey the board, survey. So change takes a long time mm-hmm. um, in associations. So I do like to remind people of that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Just to conclude before we close with our final segment too, I'm curious, what are some current projects that you guys have in the works that you can share anyways that you're really excited about or, or the future of um, the ACLP that, that gets you excited thinking ahead? Well, I can share one right now. Actually, one of the projects we're just kicking off is that we are opening up our categories of membership and working on bringing in um, program memberships and this is a little scoop for your listeners mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, nonprofit and corporate partners into membership roles as well. So, uh, our membership team has a huge docket, I would say, for like the rest of the year because we have uh, also ideas to increase our onboarding of new members and we're always trying to add value to the membership. So, um, in addition to that kind of being one of the themes of the strategic plan, which was really to focus back in on our members, I would say that. Some of the work we have is really based around our members and their experience and how to better tailor to different kinds of members. So, you know, rather than treating everybody the same, I'll figure out where people are in their career, what kind of setting they practice in. So, you know, uh, one chunk of our staff effort is really on kind of creating a better and more valuable member experience that speaks to everybody more individually. That and <laughs> Bailey also has a bulk of work doing what we're eternally calling our data transformation, mm-hmm. which excites me because I like seeing evidence-based stuff totally, and data. Totally. Um, and I think a number of our members' needs will be answered once we get these data points in place, namely collecting more information about the number of graduates, the number of internships applied to, the number of internships uh, placed, etc. Really gathering more information uh around what's really happening out there as opposed to anecdotal, you know, we hear from program leaders, we hear from academic professionals, what's going on for them in their communities. What we want to gather now is um, that true information, how many students are being turned out of, you know, graduated from an academic program and how many of those students are getting placement Mm. into an internship, how many people are going on to obtain employment, whether that's in a traditional setting or in a community-based setting. Obviously, that's going to take time and incentive for our members to come and report that kind of data to us, so we're hoping that they engage. But what we aim to do is, over the course of time, as we collect that information, get a better idea of all of the places in which people are either getting lost or stopped or where there's bottlenecks happening so that we can put more supportive structures in place 
or have more strategic discussions around what needs to happen to smooth those areas out. Because we do hear all of those trends uh, year over year about, you know, not enough internship spots, how highly competitive everything is, difficulties getting, uh, gaining employment or keeping employment or um, as our program leaders retire, they're not necessarily being uh, backfilled by another child life specialist. They may be having their positions instead filled by nurse managers, etc. So we're eager to sustain and build on existing programs, but feel like we can only do that if we actually have accurate idea of what's truly going on out there. And the only way we're going to do that is gathering data. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm excited about gathering data. Yeah, this. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. Very exciting stuff. How how would you direct listeners and members that might be interested in um, collaborating with the ACLP or whether that be through task force or committees or through entering this data? What's, what's some of the go-to things that they should know for connecting with the ACLP? Okay, so I can almost do it as a numbered list off the top of my head. Number Perfect. one, you should join. <laughs> awesome, join. Uh, you got to be part of the conversation to contribute. You know, being a member, you have access to the forum, and you all the other tools and resources we have, and you're then kind of raising your voice to be part of the this bigger conversation. So one thing is just join. If you're not a member, I, it's worth it. Join. Mm-hmm. The second one would be, uh, as a member, to participate in our uh, volunteer interest uh, process that we have in the early part of January and February in the year, but we're also trying to create new opportunities to have volunteer engagements that are smaller and throughout the year, so look forward to that because we're that's one of the other things that came out of our strategic plan, which as you can see we mentioned a lot, but it really does guide us mm-hmm. to find more pathways to get active, so volunteer, get on a committee, join, and then I want to put another pitch out there because we can always use more content creators. Hmm. So we need writers for the bulletin, for focus. We need presenters for conference, for the webinar schedule. And we want your crazy ideas too. You can always just email us. If you pick up the phone, it'll, you know, you'll get a human. <laughs> you can tell us if you have an idea. Yeah. You know, sometimes we can't always act on it because we have to, you know, look at the future plan and where does it fit. But sometimes you're those crazy ideas that you've got, or maybe it's not a crazy idea but a, a burning passion, you know, we, we can either record that or maybe do something with it. So, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, welcome everybody to just reach out to us. Um, if you're doing something that's really special too, share us, share with us if you've made like a big win in your department or whatever, we would like to share that. So mm-hmm. I think that really just staying in touch with us um, on some level, you know, is really the, the best advice that I have. I love that. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Bailey. Um, I hope that our listeners will really take advantage of those, um, those tips as well. Um, ladies, our time is rapidly wrapping up which would make a great place for us to conclude with our rapid five segment. Are you both ready for this epic last five questions? We like epicness, yes. (laughs) Awesome. So I'll vary between the two of you with these different questions, Um, but five different questions, five brief answers. Jen, we'll start with you. What do you love to do for self-care? Oh, uh, well, I used to be a complete avid, consistent gym fitness person, um, but that has very quickly gained <laughs> um, in the past couple months. So instead, I've replaced it with reading, uh, anything and everything I can get my hands on. 
I just found this newfound love of reading again. So mm. most recently it's reading. Uh, I still enjoy working out maybe once or twice a week. Um, I actually have taken up doing what we call walk and talks with my girls, um, where we just take a stroll and we just talk without any phones, devices, etc. We just do what they used to do back in the day, yes. <laughs> walk and talk. Um, and we all enjoy that. And then, of course, um, getting together for a good happy hour with friends. Uh, have to fit that in at least once a month to keep my sanity uh, in check. Yes, yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Number two, Bailey, what is one thing that helps you get through your long days at the ACLP? Well, I actually feel that every day ACLP goes by way fast. And <laughs> <laughs> I never feel like dragging at all. I want to, like, pause time. But I will say that... Everybody who knows me, including my daughter who doesn't have tea parties, she has coffee uh, okay. with her <laughs> with her dolls and stuff. I am a coffee addict, so I'm, I'm chemically addicted, and I'm in love with the concept of drinking it. So I, <laughs> I, I it, I'll make I'll make a pot of coffee for everybody and talk people into drinking some. Um, that's probably like my ritual that I have to have. Love it. That's great. <laughs> Jen, number three, Jen, um, I know that you do a lot of traveling with the ACLP and even in the last several months, but what is one trip you have planned for the ACLP that you're, you are most looking forward to? Well, I don't, we don't actually have a plan just yet. We're in, we're in the uh, activity of planning it right now, but mm-hmm. uh, we have board approval to do an archives visit up to Utica College in the upcoming months uh, or third quarter of the year. Um, and that's one that I am looking forward to going to. I've never been to our archives at Utica College. I know, um, you know, Utica and Savita have been great in aligning that for us and supporting it uh, year over year. But I'm eager to get there and see exactly what is in the archives, but also learn more about the origins and history of the profession and get a better idea of how we can market the archives and make it more accessible to all members because I think what is there is certainly valuable to anyone that can get up there to see it Uh but we obviously aim to make that content more uh, visible to the public and our members yeah so that's fascinating it sounds like uh, something that you would really enjoy doing especially if you love reading as well that's very cool absolutely perfect number four bailey what is one behind the scenes fact about what it's like recording the hashtag child life podcast oh definitely how just true to life it is because really jen and i just you know we are uh like perfect yin and yang like counterparts we talk all the time basically we are each other's sounding boards and i mean i just moment to say shout out to jen i just couldn't do it everything without you we had the best time but we actually get along so well and we really come at things so differently our personalities are so different but we always kind of end up at the same place it's a good balance and i feel like recording the podcast it's really just like we come up with maybe like five bullet points and we find ourselves meandering like we do in real life and then we just say yeah throw it on the website it's ready yeah I love that and I love that transparency that you guys have to just be open with the members and the listeners about different new topics in child life and that they're hearing from you as well I think that's really really special so if you are listening to this and you haven't subscribed to the hashtag child life podcast be sure to do so and number five Jen and Bailey both uh what makes working at the ACLP so worth it to you why don't we start with you, Jen, and then Bailey, you can close us out. I mean, it's worth it to me because it's something bigger than me. It's greater than um, kind of like the 
the general uh, consumerism, commercial profitability, business aspects, etc. Uh, I've never been drawn to kind of typical business practices, I guess. <laughs> That's probably not something I should be admitting. But um, as I mentioned before, I've always been more attracted to positions where I'm advocating for someone or something uh, that cannot advocate for itself for whatever reason. And certainly child life are all advocates at heart. So to pick up on that energy and to support not only profession, but individuals that are just inherently naturally strong and resilient and do work that I know I cannot do. And uh, they do it day after day after day. And they still put a smile on their face when they have to. And they still know how to commiserate when they need to and reach out to each other when they need to. It's a beautiful thing to witness and be a part of. And so... I mean, that makes it, we're very fortunate to be exposed to that consistently over the year, you know? I mean, um, to have exposure to that level of um, optimism and hope and resiliency and support and being able to be vulnerable and say, I don't know sometimes, or, you know, ask the person next to you for help. I think that's something that is unique uh, to our community and to our association. So... Uh, it's a great place to be. Mm, beautifully said. Thank you. What about you, Bailey? Well, it's really creative. And I say that because the association and the profession are both growing. And there's like a lot of growing to do. And we aren't stuck with, you know, the way things have always been. So we, we really get to sort of reassess everything all the time. We have to, in fact, because when you're a growing association, you, you can't just sort of stay stagnant you have to pump something I, I love thinking of new ideas um, I like trying things out I'm kind of a risk taker so I enjoy that and I think that that creativity is also really fun because our members are also super creative you know uh, we had this innovation fair <laughs> at our conference and that was a huge hit because people like to I think that while there's always a desire to honor the past and like celebrate legacies child life specialists are also really creative and try to make things work better you know and I think that that allows us as a staff, and so in my role, like personally, it just gives us that freedom and flexibility to say, how can we do that a little bit differently? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, we're we're not frozen or stuck in time, and that is really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of makes you feel like, oh, there's all these big challenges, but there's a thousand things we haven't tried yet. I always say that, but well, we haven't tried. There's so many things we just haven't even tried yet. Mm-hmm. So it kind of gives you this optimistic feeling um, that like, ooh, what if we just did something else, you know? And I think that's special to this association. That's not always the, I can tell you from experience, that's not always how it is. So we're more concerned with getting where we need to be rather than, you know, just preserving things for the sake of it. And that is really rewarding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, I really do want to thank you both so much for your leadership, um, the way that you both lead with passion and with transparency and just such a commitment to advance the child life profession. We're very grateful and also very grateful that you would take the time to be on the child life cooperative podcast. I thank you both so much for your time and sharing a few behind the scenes pieces of advice. And I encourage our listeners to keep reaching out to the ACLP for ideas or for questions that they may have, um, because it, it really is a gift to be able to hear more from you both today. Well, thank you for having us, Allie. It's been a pleasure getting to know you leading up to the summit uh, last year, but then also um, having you share your time with us in Arizona at our strategic planning summit. 
um, and then following up with a couple more questions uh, yeah. this year, but then also reaching out and inviting us to, you know, engage with you on your uh, podcast. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you, ladies, so much. And thank you all to our listeners for following along this season for the Child Life Cooperative podcast. It has truly been a joy to learn alongside of you as we've heard real and honest stories from different child life professionals. And I thank you so much for your continued support. I will be sure to stay in touch with you guys through the Child Life Cooperative Instagram regarding changes for the Child Life Cooperative. So be sure to stay tuned within the next week. And in the meantime, may we all lean into the Child Life Cooperative mission by learning through reflection, uniting for support, and equipping students to advance the child life profession. Thank you all so very much. That is a wrap.